0: So I am here today with Dwight Furrow, uh, author of American Foodie, Taste Art, and the Cultural Revolution. How are you today, Mr. Furrow?
1: I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Of course, of course. Um, really excited to talk about the book today. Um, could you could you give us a little uh, a little background for us?
1: Yeah, I'm a uh, a professor of philosophy at uh, San Diego Mesa College in in San Diego, and uh, I write on uh, uh, on aesthetics and uh, especially the aesthetics of food and wine uh, that 's my my current interest uh, i 've been writing on this for several years
0: um, okay what um, what got you involved in that
1: well uh, when i uh, you know when I got into philosophy and uh, Got my PhD and so on. It uh, always struck me as being sort of odd that uh, philosophers didn't talk much about food. Uh, I've always been into food since I was uh, very young, and um, it just su- kind of surprised me that there was no discussion of of food or wine or, uh, or beverages uh, in, in philosophy. Pretty much ignored that dimension of of everyday life. So I decided to explore it a little bit more and uh, and see if we can come up with some. Uh, you know, philosophical discussion of a topic that, of course, everybody is interested in and everybody likes food. Uh, uh, so I decided to explore uh, that more.
0: Okay. Well, I, you you mentioned aesthetics and philosophy, and it brings me back to year one of culinary school where I, for some odd reason, decided to read Immanuel Kant uh-huh. um, <laughs> and his Aesthetics of Reasoning. Um, so I don't know. I should I, should we be horrified by this book? What's the uh, What's What's the book about?
1: The book is about. Uh, it's called American Foodie Taste Art and the Cultural Revolution, and it explains this rather remarkable emergence of a, a genuine food culture in the United States. So the book is framed by the question Why food? Why now? At this point in our history, uh, and I assess the significance of this food revolution and where it's heading. So uh, the book is about the important role that taste. Now plays in our lives, uh, and the basic theme is that if you're not eating well, you're not living well. Okay. Okay. Um, I do talk about Kant in the book, by the way, but not not in too much detail.
0: Well, that's good. That's good. I uh, I still still haven't understood a word I ever I read from him. Uh, so, um, but again, I'm not a I'm not a philosopher, so um okay um what is what is the dominance of instrumental reason
1: uh the dominance of instrumental reason that's the idea that um that everything we do is designed uh, to produce more and more and more uh, more production more consumption uh and everything we do uh is uh, devoted to this, this task of, uh, of, uh, of production, and we're not focused enough on you know, the intrinsic value of certain experiences, especially the experience of pleasure. Um, so that's just the idea of instrumental reason. It's, uh, reason is being used as an instrument for something else rather than looking at uh, the intrinsic value of uh, the experiences that we have. You know when we're looking at art, when we're experiencing art, we're experiencing art for itself, not for some other purpose. Um, and uh, I think we're starting to look at food in that way as well—not just as a, a means of nutrition or as a way to satisfy hunger, but to look at something that's intrinsically valuable in our lives that produces uh, uh, pleasure for us.
0: So, so taking uh, nutrition and hedonism kind of together.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we want to eat nutritiously as well, uh, but I think that uh, you know we don't eat just to. Uh, uh, to get nutrition, we eat because it's pleasurable, we eat because it's uh, an important part of our lives, um, an important part of everyday life.
0: Sure. So so I've always wondered, um, how do you balance that? How do you balance what you want to eat with what you should eat? <laughs>
1: well, it's, it can be a tricky balance, I, I agree. Um, I think that w- one important thing is to, well, there's a couple of factors, I think. One um, is just by eating a little bit less. Uh, a little bit less quantity, and focus more on quality. Um, you can get a lot of satisfaction out of your, out of your food without eating so much. So, uh, just turning to quality rather than quantity, I think quantity, I think, helps uh, with the nutrition. Uh, and just being more thoughtful and eating more slowly, um, you know, the mindful eating movement is important in this regard because uh, they've taught us that if we think about what we're eating and really experience all dimensions of the pleasure and do it slowly and thoughtfully we don't eat as quickly and when we don't eat as quickly we don't eat as much so I think if we can focus more on quality focus more on slowing down and and appreciating the moment uh, the nutrition will take care of itself you don't have to do things like dieting and so on
0: okay Um, you talk in chapter 2 about food as art Um, is this uh do you think that type of principle is um, what has led to the molecular gastronomy movement in this country?
1: Oh, I think so. I think, uh, I mean, uh, the, the question of whether food is art has been a, a kind of a controversial notion within aesthetics. Uh, and I think that the molecular gastronomy uh, movement uh, pretty much shows that food can be art, uh, really, regardless of how you define it, uh, because there are. Uh, Their concoctions are are innovative, uh, creative. um, They involve lots of imagination uh, and have a depth of meaning that we uh, associate with art. So, yeah, I think the molecular gastronomy movement, otherwise known as modernist cuisine, uh, has really transformed the way we think about food.
0: Okay. Um, So so who is the book for? Is it for philosophy majors? Is it for people who just want a, a really good read? Who would you write it for?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I wrote it for anybody who likes food. Uh, it is uh, in the realm of philosophy of food, but I don't include a lot of technical discussions in there. There's not, not a lot of discussions of the history of philosophy. It's really designed just for people who like food and want to think about it, want to understand its meaning, and understand why today we, we, we take food so seriously. Uh, so it's written just for people who love food. Uh, and uh, I tried to keep that in mind as I was writing the book that I wasn't writing for necessarily for other philosophers. They may be interested in it, but it's really written for uh, a non-technical, non-specialist audience.
0: Okay. Um, It seems you talk a little bit about the the American history of of cuisine and um, how... I'm I'm wondering if... uh, if you think that regionality in, in American cuisine really speaks to uh, our culture as, as, a, as a country where people can, can travel through from one part of the, uh, the country to the other and know nothing about that area other than its, its food culture. So I'm just curious what, uh, what your take on that is.
1: No, I think that's true. I mean, I think if you try to define what American cuisine is, I mean, you really have to talk about the various regional cuisines uh, in this country because there, uh, there are many of them and are invariably very interesting when you get into them. Uh, and, you know, I think it, it's true with all, almost all cultures that uh, focusing on food and, or the beverages of that culture really uh, provides a kind of window into the culture. It's a way to learn about uh, you know, what the sensibility of a people is by looking at what they eat and what they drink. Um, so that's one thing that's really fascinating about, uh, about the United States is the diversity of regional cuisines here, uh, that we have here. And, uh, of course now, uh, with the food revolution, they're all, f- uh, everybody's focusing on that, trying to make their own regional cuisines special. And, uh, I, I find that, uh, really interesting and, uh, and pleasurable as well because, uh, it's, it's, it's a real joy to visit different parts of the country and, uh, and eat what they, uh,
0: have on the menu fantastic i 'm um, wondering um, what do you think the next trend is going to be in american uh, food
1: hmm. <laughs> well that's i mean it 's hard to say it 's hard to predict the future uh, I mean I think right now it 's all about uh, you know putting strange ingredients together. Uh, I just saw <laughs> someone write in the other day about uh, potato chips made out of uh, ground up crickets. <laughs> Um, so I mean, people, yeah people are getting pretty wild in their in their uh combinations of flavors and so on, so that seems to be what 's going on right now it's just a lot of random experimentation and lots of uh you know just trying things out uh of course we 're going to have advances in technology as well that are going to be uh, influential um, uh, we 'll see uh, you know people creating uh, you know meat in the laboratory and uh and so on. Uh, so we'll see how all of that plans out. It's hard to know. Uh, but I think uh, there's such a great interest in food now that um, the innovation is just going to keep coming. Uh, and it's just going to be something new all the time and, uh, until we get tired of it, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, I think it's uh, right now it's all about innovation. It's all about trying, trying something new. It's all about novelty.
0: Okay. I... Uh... I always wonder, um, simply because I was classically trained, um, I always wonder if technology gets us in more trouble than it's worth. Um, And I'm I'm wondering what your thoughts on that should. Should people. Well, let's start with this basic question. Is it disrespectful to ingredients themselves to warp them with technology?
1: Well, I suppose it is in a sense, but I I mean, I do think that, um, you know, technology is a fact of life, uh, and uh, there are always people doing interesting things with technology. So I don't think we can just ignore it. Um, you know, I think that um, if our interest in food is going to continue, if we're going to sustain this interest in food, uh, uh, there has to be innovation. There have to be people that are pushing the boundaries. That's why I think it's become a kind of art, because we expect that of art. We expect pe- that's the realm of culture in which people are pushing the boundaries. And uh, using technology is one way to do that. So I think there's I think there's a really interesting creative tension between uh, the highly technological approaches uh, of molecular gastronomy uh, and then the more traditional approaches where people are getting back to using fresh ingredients and simple ingredients and uh, and just uh, putting a, a basic meal on the table that tastes very very good. I think there's creative tension there, and I think both sides are very important uh, to the uh, food culture right now, so I don't I don't look down on technology, but you know I think you have to be careful how you use it, and you don't want it to uh, I mean technology that's used just to make food convenient um, and nothing else, uh, or you know just to make it cheap and nothing else that's not hasn't been very useful for us, but uh, uh, that doesn't mean that all technology is bad.
0: Okay, that's uh it's a great answer. Um, fantastic. Um, you talk a little bit about the uh, the slow food movement, um, which a lot of the listeners uh, that I have um, are into. Um, there, there's some confusion as to what the slow movement, uh, slow food movement, really is. Um, can you just uh, kind of tell us a little bit about what you, uh, in your research, what you've understood it to be?
1: Well, I think it begins in Italy uh, back in the 1980s, uh, and uh, it's, it was originally a kind of protest movement against uh, uh, McDonald's moving in, uh, against fast food uh, in Italy. Um, and, uh, you know, originally it's about, you know, protecting local cuisines from the encroachment of industrialized food. Um, and I still see it. That's primarily what it is, um, but I think it's also, it really fits in, I talk a lot about it in the book, because it really fits the theme of the book. I mean, it really is about slowing down and enjoying your food and enjoying the pleasure of the moment uh, In treating food as that special area in life where we get away from a uh, fast-paced uh, world of, uh, of work um, in the workplace. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that's, that's the main message of the slow food movement. Um, I mean, there's, I think, uh, a bit of a, a contradiction there because while they're kind of protecting their local, uh, you know, saying it's important to eat local and protecting their, their local uh, uh, cuisines and their local food products, uh, at the same time, if we always eat local, they're not going to sell many of those food products to, to people who want to eat globally, you know. so uh, <laughs> th- So there is a bit of a contradiction there, and I think it's, you know, it's important to eat locally, but I also think it's important to explore other cuisines as well. Uh, you know, it's important just to uh, to uh, experience everything that the food culture has to offer. Okay? But I think the food, the slow food movement, really is about slowing down, uh, paying more attention to your food, and eating locally. I think that's the the, the heart of it.
0: Okay, excellent. Um- <clears throat> Um, I want to ask about uh, about Chapter Five: How to read a meal yes what uh, tell us a little bit about about this well that that chapter uh, one of the um, objections
1: to this notion that food is art uh, is that food doesn 't have meaning it, it's just flavors, but food isn 't about anything um, and what i 'm trying to do in that chapter is to show that in fact food does have meanings there are all kinds of of uh, symbolic meanings that food has uh, that have to do with the tradition in which the, the, you know the uh, the dish or the recipe emerges, um, so I argue in, the, in in the book that um, you know that food is about food traditions, even when chefs are challenging the traditions they 're still making reference to it, and so that uh, food has an extensive uh, uh, food is very meaningful, has lots of different meanings associated with it. Uh, and hence the the notion of how to read a meal is how to understand the meanings that food has
0: okay what uh what are i guess I'll ask this the uh, um great philosophical question is what is uh the meaning of a meal
1: uh well i mean I think that um that, that meals have lots of uh, different meanings depending on what the you know what the meal is. Uh, But uh, food has the capacity to express emotion. Uh, It provokes wonder, mystery, uh, nostalgic yearnings. It can uh, provoke joy, anticipation, amusement, a sense of of loss and impermanence. Um, It can provoke negative emotions, uh, although we try to shield ourselves from those. But when you think about what food is? It's all always associated with uh, the death of something, uh, and so there's violence associated with food, and, and certainly food has uh, emotional resonance with regard to uh, the people who make it. Uh, you know, certainly mom's apple pie has lots of meaning uh, for us. Um, food has meaning with regard to uh, cultural identities. Um, so there's a whole range of meanings that food can have, I and mean, you. Focus on where it comes from, who makes it. It kind of opens up that cultural aspect um, uh, and uh, p- provides food with uh, a rich set of meanings.
0: Okay. Um, I'm skimming through uh, and I'm wondering if there is an answer to this question is, can tuna casserole be a work of art?
1: (laughs) Can tuna casserole be a work of art? Um, Yeah, so the question is, uh, we talked about molecular uh, gastronomy and uh, some of the works of art that they're creating. Uh, The the question is, can an ordinary cook create uh, uh, works of food art? Um, And I I think so. Yeah, if um, if, you know, I think what artists do is that they strive to take ordinary objects uh, like a tuna casserole and to give them significance as a form of self-expression or creativity. Uh, And when we do that, we're lifting that out of the realm of the ordinary to something that's unusual or striking. Um, And when we do that, I think we're creating art. So, uh, I think a tuna casserole can be a work of art if you're doing something about it to highlight its aesthetic properties and to make it um, alluring in some way. Uh, So I don't think every tuna casserole is a work of art, but I think that uh, it it can be uh, in the hands of the right chef.
0: Okay. Um, So so my next question is actually going to be about, um, not necessarily about the book, but I think your book, Um, raises some very interesting questions and very interesting points and I'm wondering what you think of food art in social media Um, this this idea that um, we have to share everything we eat Um, I think it was I think it was Neil Armstrong I think he took five or ten pictures of man's first landing on the moon and the average teenager today um, takes 40 pictures a a day Um, (laughs)
1: yeah well we're sharing everything
0: uh not we're just sharing food. everything
1: yeah that's right. yeah yeah. Uh, yeah i mean um it can get overwhelming i think i i suppose i to tell you the truth i I do take pictures sometimes of food and so on but i can't i can't keep up with what some of the younger people are doing today with their <laughs> their constant photography uh, but look people uh enjoy it uh, people are consuming it, people find it meaningful the uh you know the number of people who use Pinterest and the other uh, f- uh, photo f- platforms just keep expanding. So obviously people are finding enjoyment th- there, and what's wrong with that? Um, you know. Uh, so I, I think it's fine. Uh, I do take photos of food because it helps me remember what I had. Uh, it's, it's easier than writing it all down. Um, so you know, uh, I take photos as well, but I I don't publish a lot of it. But uh, I think. For people to do that, if there's an audience for it, you know, why not?
0: Okay. okay. Um, <clears throat> the future of taste. What? Uh, um, tell us a little bit about, uh, about the final chapter here.
1: Yeah, well, uh, so what are the prospects for the food revolution? Um, I mean, I think uh, the danger is that anything meaningful eventually gets commercialized and when it does, it loses its originality and the aura of being special. Um, and I think, you know, big food, big wine have had some success in marketing authenticity and originality. Uh, so, uh, you know, the question is, can we maintain this uh, this focus on you know, fresh local ingredients and the creativity of, uh, of uh, you know, regional cuisines and so on? Um, when they get taken over by corporate food, so that, you know, uh, so I think that's the question. Uh, and of course, the danger for corporate food is that the more we become to value authenticity and originality, uh, the less patience we have with the kind of standardization that's required for the commodity production. So, uh, I argue in the book, I and mean in the final chapter, that through mindful eating, uh, we can define for ourselves what is good taste and we don't have to simply passively accept what uh, industrial food uh, corporations uh, put in front of us. So through mindful eating, we can refine a sensibility that's original, it's particular to each of us as an individual. It's one of a kind, and if we do that, we can resist the tendency to commodify uh, the food revolution, and we can take back our taste from the corporate food industry.
0: Well, fantastic. Um, when, uh, when can we expect this book, uh, American Foodie, to hit, uh, hit shelves?
1: Well, it's out now. It's been out for uh, a little over a month. so It's, it's available yeah. on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, I'm not sure how much distribution in bookstores there are yet, but uh, most people, I think, are buying their books online these days. So the, the easiest way to get it is through Amazon. It's on sale now.
0: Amazon, okay. Um, is there an audio book available?
1: No audio. There's an ebook available, available, uh, but no audio yet.
0: Okay. Well, there you have it. It's on Amazon. Um, well, um, thank you for my uh, very special guest, uh, Dwight Furrow, uh, Professor of Philosophy at San Diego Mesa College. Um, professor Furrow, it was a great pleasure having you on, and I, uh, I appreciate your time.
1: That's a pleasure talking to you. Thanks a lot, Justin. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye.
0: Well, that was a super fun episode for me. Um, I'm still working my way through the book. If you haven't had a chance to pick it up, you can find the link uh, on the website, wizardofwhiskey.com. Um, please follow me on Twitter. I finally managed to change my name back to the original. It is at Wizard of Whiskey with an E. And uh, so there it is. Um, please also like us on Facebook, Wizard of Whiskey, and on Instagram, Wizard of Whiskey. With no E. Thank you again, and we will talk to you soon. As always, if you have any thoughts, comments, concerns, gripes, or complaints, please put it on the social media, and I will get back to you as soon as I can. Cheers.